Hallelujah. If you will, uh, maybe if I can get some pastors, Pastor Jason and Teacher Derek, and, and if I can get Brother Charles, if you will, come grab the Kleenex boxes here on the altar and just pass them out to the body and tell everyone, grab a Kleenex. <laughs> get a Kleenex. I got a real tearjerker of a message for you this morning. Somebody say it's a tearjerker. I want everybody to get one Kleenex. I really do. I want you to get this and you're going to hold on to it during the whole service. And uh, yeah, if there's Kleenexes next to you, absolutely grab the boxes, pass them around. Everybody get a Kleenex. No, Sister Deborah, we're not surrendering today. Glory to God. <laughs> grab a Kleenex. Grab a Kleenex and stand with me all over the house. And I want you to tell your neighbor this before we jump into the text. You ready? On the count of three. It's going to be my title of my message for you this morning. You need to hear this, and you need to hear this well. I came with a word from the Lord today to tell you, quit crying, it's coming. Somebody say, quit crying, it's coming. Come on, shout it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Quit crying, it's coming. Hallelujah. Standing with me all over the house, we're going to go to the passage of Scripture in Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. Haggai chapter 2. Verse 1, standing for the reverence of reading God's word, please. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shetel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? Be, but now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I have covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Ooh. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Ooh. And I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. And the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Verse 9, and the glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And I, in this place, I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Father, we thank you tonight, for today, Father God, for what you are establishing, what you are building. God, what you are correcting and what you are corralling. Father, we thank you today, God, that we are anointed by the Spirit of God. Lord, that we have not gathered here by coincidence or happenstance. But the Spirit of the Lord has drawn us to this place. Now we ask, O oh, Almighty God, open our ears to hear what the Spirit speaks expressively. Father, we ask today that as we would gather, that your word would become the lamp unto our feet for our darkened path, that no one would walk out of here in ignorance, but all would hear the word of the Lord, and that the sword of the Spirit would penetrate the deep areas of our heart. And God, that you would correct things that need to be corrected today. God, that you would establish things that need to be established today. And Father, 
Father God, you would cut off the crying. And Father God, we would see the possibility of the power of victory that has been laid before us. Father, we thank you for it today in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen and amen. You may be seated all over the house. I want to talk to you this morning just for a few moments on the idea of quit crying, that it's coming. I need to speak to some people this morning that are probably in a season of loss of some sort, of people that are counting the cost of the past seasons, of things that you've walked through. Uh, I, I believe that there's people here this morning by the Spirit of God that there are people here that had things in one season, but you ain't got them no more in this season, and your eyes have been filled with tears, and you've been wandering, and you've been wondering, but God sent me as a messenger today to declare the word of the Lord over your life, but I want you to understand something. Not everyone is going to be happy about your comeback. I can, go to a, I can go to a passage of scripture in Luke 15 that tells me about a father who gave his inheritance to a child. We in the church would later call him the prodigal son. And he would go to a distant land and he would, he would pour out into poverty. He would, he would become stricken and smitten. He would be laid in a hog trough, eating from the hog trough. He would be broken and busted and disgusted. He'd be laid up in the mud with the pigs. And I want you to know that in his state, the Bible says, but he came to himself. And when he came to himself, he said, in my father's house, even the servants eat bread. In my father's house, even they, they've got sandals on their feet. What am I doing here? And the Bible says that he arose and began to head back to the father's house. And Luke 15 tells me that when the father saw him, and yet he was still a great ways off, rejoicing, the father leaps off of the porch and runs to where he is and says these words, my son who was lost has come home. Get the fatted calf, get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals, the one whom I love has returned but there's an older brother in the house and the older brother doesn't seem to be as happy that little brother has come home and it's from this story that we begin to glean the context that not everybody is happy about your comeback it's in the understanding that some when you lost it they would rather you live in loss Woo! come on somebody Come on, let's be honest. Some of us lost it because we squandered it. Some of us lost it because we weren't good stewards of it. But God who's faithful, who restores all things, who replenishes what the enemy, he said, I will replace what the canker worm had devoured. I'll give back to you what you lost. My God, I feel him in this house this morning. We understand that it's not in the, in the comeback that everybody is happy. Haggai chapter 2 I want you to understand the backdrop of this message. God has raised a prophet by the name of Haggai to deal with the people who are mourning over the loss of Solomon's temple. God raises the prophet Haggai because there are people that are mourning about what used to be. My God, I say give us preachers in this hour that will rebuke the church, that will correct the church, that will, come on, that will confront the church, that are whining over what used to be. Oh, y'all real quiet in the house of the Lord. Y'all don't know? You didn't hear? Come on, somebody. You, you've never sat at the tables of those that tell, talk about the good old days, how it used to be? Come on, somebody. God raise up guys that will confront people that are comfortable with yesterday and begin to declare the possibilities of tomorrow. See, Solomon's temple was grander than any structure of its day. Matter of fact, it's said that when Solomon's temple was built, half of the gold that was available in the world at that time was used 
to build Solomon's temple. Matter of fact, even the door hinges of it were made of gold. It was grand. It was good. It was grandeur. But, the, but you got to understand, even at one time, it was used to glorify God. But now it's in ruins. Come on. What was golden, what was grand, what was once used to glorify God now lays in ruins. Come on, somebody. I want you to understand that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. Oh, Jesus. But now it's in ruins, literally left in the rubble. And God raises up a voice to come to those that are in mourning. And they are crying over what used to be. And God sends a man of God by the, by the name of Prophet Haggai that comes. And guess what he tells them? Quit crying. It's coming. Y'all are mourning about what used to be. You're crying over your loss. You're crying over your deficiency. You're crying over what you ain't got. You're crying over what? Come on, somebody. And he's, say, he's saying, you got to quit all that crying. My God, I came to tell somebody, you got to quit all that crying, all that crying, all that. Come on, somebody. You got to quit all that crying. Because I believe I'm here this morning to tell Dominion Church, quit crying, it's coming. I said, quit crying, it's coming. I know there's a generation even here that you have seen the good before, you've seen the glory before, you've seen the gold before, but God wanted me to tell you, if you're always looking at what was before, you will block what he's wanting to build now. Can I help somebody in the house this morning that you're so focused on yesterday, you can't focus on tomorrow? You so, come on, let me talk to the house today. Let me talk to the one that you're still pouting, you're still whining, you're still mad that he left you. If you're looking at what left you, you'll never be able to grasp what, what's coming. Come on, some of you, come on, some of, some of you got to realize that you were in relationships and those relationships dissolved. You got to realize you were in jobs and those jobs dissolved. You got to realize there were things in one season of your life that were there and they're not there anymore. And all you've been doing is crying about what used to be. And God sent me to tell you you quit crying it's coming mm. see we get so consumed with what's lost that we can no longer see what's left I said we get so consumed with what's lost that we can no longer see what's left but what we found to realize is God doesn't need anything that you've lost to bless you he only needs what you have left. Exodus chapter 4, we find a man by the name of Moses. And this man, Moses, is wandering for 40 years in the backside of a desert. It's funny that he was in 40 years in the desert tending another man's flock by the name of Jethro. He was sun scorched. His, his, his skin would have been burned as leather. He's on the backside of a desert wandering day in and day out, going through the motions of life. But here's what nobody realizes is Moses is a man that is in a season of loss. you got to understand that Moses would have been raised up in the Pharaoh's courts. He was taken into Pharaoh's home. He would have ate the, mat, the, the fat of the land. He would have eaten meat. He would have ate good. He would have went to school with all the Egyptian elites. You got to understand that he was somebody of distinct, uh, 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 of distinct class. He was somebody that was higher. He was somebody that knew what it was to have. He, knew, he was somebody that knew what it was to live in abundance. But now here we find Moses, 40 years on the backside of a desert, and he's wandering through life. He's going through the motions, tending another man's foot. 
fold of sheep. And the Bible says that while he was walking, he saw a bush burning, but yet not consumed and saying to himself, I will now see this sight, how the bush burns, but is not consumed. And turning, the Bible says, God spoke and said, take off your shoes, your own holy ground. Moses stepping in. God asked Moses in Exodus 4 this powerful question. What's that in your hand? A rod, it's a staff. And God says, throw it down. He throws it down and it turns into a serpent. He says, pick it up. He picks it up. It goes back into a rod. And what we have to understand, it's in this moment that we determine that God no longer is looking at what you lost. He's looking at what you have left. And I came to preach and prophesy and speak into some people's lives that many of you are missing Egypt. Many of you are missing your days of abundance. But God's not looking at what you walked away from. God's not looking at what you left. God's looking at what's in your hand today. He's saying, what about that song you still got? What about that dream? That What is still left in your life? Because if you'll throw it down, I'll use it. If you'll learn to lay down what you've got left, God says, I can manifest my power on it. I can use it for the glory of my name. God is not looking at what you've lost. He's looking at what you have left. See, the problem with tears is you can't cry and see. The trauma of tears stop vision. Some of you are wondering why you have to quit crying. I came to tell you this morning, you got to quit crying because as long as you're crying, you can't see. And as long as you can't see, you can't have vision. And as long as you can't have vision, the Bible tells me that where there is no vision, the people perish. Don't you understand that the pain was not as much to take you out as it was to take the dream from you? Don't you under, oh, come on, somebody. Don't you understand? You lost what you lost, but it wasn't about losing it. It was about the enemy trying to make you lose you. Oh, come on, preacher. And so what we have to understand is the trauma of tears. They blur our vision. And there's some of you that have been weeping. There's some of you that have been crying. And what you need to understand, it was never about what you lost. It was about taking your vision. Oh, I feel this word this morning. See, you can cry over yesterday's good. Or you can carry on today with God and prepare yourself for a greater glory. You can whine over yesterdays. You can cry over what has been. You can cry over what was. And as long as you are focusing, as long as you are mulling, as long as you are reminiscing, you will be missing what God is desiring to do in this season. And so God is dealing with Israel because that's the persona that he's up against. It's the mentality of the people that God is wanting to do something new, but they are so focused on what they've lost, they cannot see what's left. See, God is confronting a nation through the prophet Haggai that he's telling them, he said, you're weeping, but while you're weeping, you should be working because while you are busted, I'm still building. I'm wanting to do something new. Come on, church, you got to hear this word this morning. God tells him, you got to quit crying because it's coming. I'm a dad of three kids, and I have a statement around my house when they get really whiny. And maybe some of you were raised the way I was raised, and maybe some of you use parenting skills like I do. But we've got a little saying when the little knuckleheads want to get really whiny. I say these words, that if you don't quit crying, I'm going to give you something to 
Y'all got the same parents that I had. Y'all took the parenting class I took. I, I tell them, if you don't quit crying, I'm going to give you something to... I wonder in my life spiritually, has God ever looked at me while I'm in a pity party? Has God ever looked at me while I'm whining? Has God ever looked at me while my vision is blurred over the tears and looked at me and said, son, if you don't quit crying, I'm going to give you. Come on, somebody. The church can't be found whining when we should be found winning. See, listen to me, listen to me. Trauma is real. Life is real, hurt is real, loss is real, pain is real, but God never called you to live there. Come on, your address is not 1030 Trauma Street. Oh, come on, somebody. Your house is not 750 Betrayal Road. I feel the Holy Ghost, but some of y'all been getting your blessings sent to that address and God saying, I didn't call you to live there, return to sender. Some of y'all working and some of y'all whining and some of y'all waiting and God saying, I got things for you, but I can't send it to that address. You over there on 1030 Trauma Street, and God said, I called you to live at 633 Kingdom Street. And you're whining and you're crying, and God's saying, I can't send your blessing to that address because I didn't call you to live there. You got to quit crying. You got to quit crying. You got to quit crying. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. See, the Bible is clear, though. Jesus experienced pain. Jesus experienced loss. Jesus experienced trauma and betrayal. And the Bible said in every way he was tried and tested, but yet did not sin. Matter of fact, John 11 and 35, the shortest passage in your Bible, reads these words. Here you go. Y'all want to learn a scripture today? John 11 and 35. Read it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus wept. John 11 and 35. Do you understand that this scripture, though it's shortest in its context, is preparing the stage for what the church and many preachers would go on to preach? See, it's in John 11 that Jesus receives the word of the testimony that his dear friend Lazarus has died. Here is the king of glory, life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He is the resurrection and the life. In him is life, and in him is the fullness of life. That In him is, is life. But yet life receives death's report. And John eleven thirty five tells us, and Jesus wept. See, Jesus was in a moment of loss, but I want you to catch something really quick. The story doesn't end there in John 11 and 35. I said the story did not end in 11 and 35. Matter of fact, I can go on to verse 38, John 11 and 38, and it says Jesus once more deeply moved. Hold on, hold on, hold on. See, some of y'all missed it. He didn't stay in John eleven thirty five. 35. He didn't stay in his weeping season. He didn't stay crying. John eleven thirty eight 38 tells me Jesus moved. 
See, I came this morning by the word of the Lord to begin to tell some people, you gotta move, you gotta move, you gotta, you can't stay there, you gotta move. Says Jesus once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And we know the rest of the story. Jesus standing, peering at the stone, tells them, roll the stone away. And into the deep, dark hollow of that cave, Jesus projects a voice, but not just a voice. It's the same voice that in Genesis 1 said, let there be light, and there was light. It's the same voice that spoke to Elijah in the backside of a cave. And this voice now speaks through the voice itself. And the voice says, Lazarus, come forth, and out come out the grave, bound in grave clothes, comes Lazarus and Jesus says loosen him watch if he would have stayed in loss Lazarus would have never had life and you have to understand there are people here this morning on the sound of my voice and you've been living in a season of loss you know what it is to lose you know what it is to weep. John 11 and 35 could very well be Kyle 11 and 35. You know what it means to weep. You know what it is to soak your pillow with tears at night. You know what it is to have tears streaming down your face. You know the season of loss, but you can't stay there. John 11 and 35 must meet John 11 and 38 because there is resurrection. There is life. There is something that needs your attention to live again. I love the fact that in John 11 and 38 was that Jesus didn't just cry. He came too. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. See, Jesus once more moved, deeply moved, came too. He didn't just cry. He came too. See, and as I was praying over this word, God told me, he said, some of y'all, the, the way that you're going to be able to move out of your season of crying is you've got to start showing up. See, pity has no party. Pity has no party in the midst of people. The only pity party that you can have is one that you're willing to have by yourself. That's why David said, and I was glad when they said unto me, let us go up to the house of the Lord and worship. See, some of y'all came in here with your pity party. Some of you came in here with your little, uh, little cone hat on and blowing your kazoo, singing, woe, woe is me and kumbaya. But I came to preach and I came to prophesy. I came to tell you, you may came in in pity, but you're leaving in power. You may have came in mourning, but you're leaving here resurrected in life. Because you, you ever notice that when the enemy attacks, the first thing he wants you to do is stay home? Come on, somebody. First Peter tells me, but to be, be, be sober, be vigilant. You have an adversary that walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Concept of lion. Let's take it in concept. Now let's put it into war. Watch. The, the Bible is clear that we have an adversary that's a lion. Watch this, though. He's a lion, lion. He's a lion with no teeth. He just roars. But if you will study lioness and how they hunt, because men don't hunt, I guess they're just lazy. But anyways, the lioness, they hunt, they hunt in a thing called prides. 
And the pride of lions, when they hunt, they will go out and they will find the water buffalo. They will go out and they will find the antelope. And they will go out and they will find the young deer of the pastures. And when we study them, and you watch shows like I watch of Discovery and the Animal Planet. Come on, somebody. You'll see as these lioness crouch and wait. And when the herd moves through, they don't move. But the moment that one of the young... The moment that one of the weaker of the fold begins to fall off, the lioness will now circle and they will cut off the weaker from the crowd. And what the, watch this, watch this. God gave me a saying years ago. He said that the enemy will isolate to annihilate. In other words, it's the same way that your enemy works. He said, if I can ever just get them away from the fold, if I can just ever get them away from the crowd, if I can ever just get them out of the seating of the ecclesia, if I can ever just make them realize that I, I'm after them, come on. And so what happens is the same way in the church that what we have to realize is that it's in this moment that the, the enemy creeps in and what he does is he separates to annihilate. Psalms 30 in verse 5. For his anger lasts only but for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 30 just preached my whole message. You ready? Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. What did it say? It said weeping can't stay in the same house when joy shows up. In other words, crying has to leave for what's coming. And I came to talk to somebody this morning and I wanted to tell you these words. That your problem is that weeping was only supposed to stay for a night. Ecclesiastes 3 says there is a time for everything, a time to bo be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to cry, and a time to rejoice. What we have to understand, though, is many of us have missed our time because of things that we went through, because of things that we lost, because of things that we walked away from. What has happened now is when morning showed up, we allowed it to move in for a month. We allowed it to live for a year. Some of us have mourning, and we have given it its own room. But it said it was only supposed to stay for a night. Some of y'all need to serve a no vacancy sign on your morning. You got to say, I will not cry over this thing anymore. I will not weep anymore. Weeping may endure through the night, but joy is coming in the morning. I want to give you four things that Haggai addressed. I'm going to give you these four, and you'll be out of here, and you'll be with the Baptist at the buffet. Y'all ready? If you Baptist and you hear, great, wonderful. We're non-denominational, praise the Lord. So we can show up at the buffet at any time. I want to give you four things Haggai addressed for the people to quit crying and to get ready for what's coming. And I believe these are prophetic instructions for this house this morning. The first thing that we have to do is we got to go back into verse 2. Y'all follow with me in Haggai. Go back to verse 2. 2, two and 2, y'all, 2 and 2. I want to read it, and then I'm going to break it down. It says, Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittel, the governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Josedek, to the high priest, and to the remnant. Everyone shout, remnant. remnant! And if you're taking notes, you need to write that word down. You need to write it down while it's on the screen so you don't misspell it. Otherwise, you'd be like me, how I used to pronounce it, remnant. 
the remnant. The remnant. He said, speak to the remnant. The first thing that you have to realize in what God has called you to, the first thing that you need to understand is it is for anybody, but it's not for everybody. I want you to understand and begin to operate in a remnant mentality. That if you're going to quit crying over what's lost and start clinging to what's left, is you got to realize that what God's called you to is it is for anybody, but it ain't for everybody. You got to understand because if you watch this, people that experience loss, they live their life in fear of more loss. So the moment that you start to walk towards it and people leave, you'll quit. Oh my, come on. But see, what you got to understand that is if it's for a remnant, then, then, then it's for anybody, but it ain't for everybody. Not everybody's going to go with you to what God has called you to. The second thing I need you to understand, we're not on number two, we're still under the remnant. You need to understand before God ever does anything great in the earth, he will find a remnant. A small group of people to do something so big that through them only God will be able to get the glory. Teacher Derek quoted it, that he uses the foolish thing of the world to confound the wise. He will take what is rejected. He will take what everyone else has overlooked, and he will use that very thing. He'll say, that's what I can get glory out of. They're not a big church. They're just a little group of people from Darlington. Come on, somebody. They're, 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 not, they're not elaborate in their dress. Come on. They don't, they don't, they don't all have you know, five-star businesses that they're running. Those are hardworking people, but they ain't got much. God looks and he says, that's exactly the people that I can use. I will take a remnant of people and I will work a work so great. Only I can get the glory for it. You got to understand that when God does something and he does something in your life, if you're going to move from the crying and you're going to move to the calling, then you got to understand he's going to use that it's little, but it's loaded. The, The third thing under the remnant that you need to understand is your remnant is those that are chosen and called. Come on. The remnant is not just those that are called. The remnant is not just those that are chosen. The remnant are those that are called and chosen. They don't get to leave when it gets tough. I'm trying to help somebody today. See, they will put in the work because they know what God is about to do is so great that they can't miss it. The second thing that you need to realize if you're going to ever move beyond the crying and into the calling is you got to go into verse 3. Go to verse 3, Haggai 2 and 3. It says this. We're going to break it down. Haggai 2 and 3. And it says, who of you is left who saw this house in the former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? We realize that the prophet Haggai now uses a strategy that I will call the realization. He's real. He's real about what they had but he's also real about what's coming. If you're ever going to quit crying and get ready for what God has called you to, you have to have a realization. You have to have a realization. Haggai knows for the people to quit crying, they have to quit comparing. If you're ever gonna move past, you're lost. You gotta quit comparing. Let me tell you one of the greatest things that God can do in this region right now, and it's kill the comparison spirit in the church. Every church has its place. Every church has its purpose. Every preacher has a calling that is only from God, that only God can give. And what we have to understand is there is no comparison because there is no competition. 
And if it is true to the church, then it's true to the believer. Some of you haven't moved into your calling because you're too busy comparing. Well, if I preach, I won't preach like him. Well, if I pray, I won't pray like her. Well, I, I don't have the gift to sing. I can't do that. I can't do this. I don't have this. You sound like Moses. Trying to tell God every reason why you can't do it. And then God looks at Moses and he says, Is it not I who has touched your mouth and filled it with my words? And yet you're worried about what you're going to say? In order for us to move into the calling, we have to quit comparing. Dominion Church, hear me and hear me well. What God has called this house to, it's not going to look like any other house in this region. You can't say, well, this church don't have that and this church ain't doing that. Praise the Lord. God is raising this church to do something special. So we have to quit comparing. See, realize, realize the realize. Realize, realize the realize. Real E-Y-E-S, eyes. Realize, L-I-Z-E, the L-I-E-S's. See, until you can see the real lies, you'll never come to the revelation of what God has called you to. As long as you believe the report of Joseph's brothers, you'll never sit in Potiphar's courts. As long as they say, no, your dream will never be, and you believe that report, I can guarantee you your dream will never be. But until the real eyes can realize the real lies, then you will never move from what God has called you to and willing to leave what you've got to leave. The third thing that you have to realize that the prophet Haggai addresses is he does he does the remnant. He does the realization. The third thing he does is he does in verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4 and verse 5. And says, but now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. Verse 5. Verse 5. And this is what I've covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Prophet Haggai uses a concept that I will call the remembering now. He makes them realize not just of, of, of where they're going, but also what they had to leave. See, Haggai knows for the people to quit crying and to realize what's coming is they have to remember. Go back to verse 4. What did he say? Watch, go to verse 4. He says this. He says, be strong, be strong, be strong. Be, he's declaring, be strong because he's trying to make them remember before you step into it, you got to be strong. Yes. It's not for the weak. It's not for the faint of heart. But it's amazing that he says this. He says, be strong, Zerubbabel. He says, be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people. Zerubbabel was a leader. Joshua was, was a priest, but all you people was anyone and everyone. <laughs> what did he say? He said, be strong, pastor. Be strong, church leadership. Be strong, all you people. Be strong. And then work and work and work. Somebody say work. Work and work. 
Because in all you're getting strong, don't forget to work. See, you were, you're, you're being made strong for the work. Why have you walked through so much? I'll tell you why you walked through so much. Because the walking through it was working for you, for you to become strong. Ask any great Olympian. Ask any great uh, uh, athlete. Ask anybody that does something called resistance training. Ask Nemo Squires why he runs with a lead plate behind him and, and, and 100 pounds uphill. I'll tell you why. He's running and he's running and he's running with that weight attached to him. And what it is doing is strengthening him through the resistance. My God, I feel like teaching in this house. And while he's running in the resistance, when he gets in the game and the lead plate ain't there, he's got stamina and he's got strength that would not have been normally produced. And some of you going through life and you wondering why it's so heavy, why it's so hard. And God's saying, it's because I'm about to cut the cord. If you're going to quit crying and get ready for what's coming, then you got to do what Haggai reminds them of six things in verses four and five. He says, be strong. Be strong. Work. He is with us. We're under covenant. Watch this. You're not under contract, y'all. You're under covenant. His spirit remains. And then he says, do not fear. There's six things that he causes them to remember. Dominion, I want to speak them over your life today. I want to tell you, be strong. Work. He is with us. We are under covenant, not under contract. And his spirit remains. Do not fear. Amen. The fourth thing, the final thing, is after the remnant it comes to the realization, we find that there is a refilling that happens. Haggai knows for them to quit crying and get ready for what's coming. They must know God is not just asking for a house. He's asking to fill it. See, the glory that's coming will be greater. I firmly believe that. See, the last temple had gold, but this temple will have glory. Yes. See, what is this? It's a defining moment. This is the moment where God shows up and he begins to shift. He begins to change. It's where he takes what's lost and he begins to make them realize what's left. It's in this moment that God's saying, I'm about to do something incredible. God is now, now not only building a house, but now he's refilling this house with greater glory, greater purpose. Verse 9 says, and in this place I will grant peace. Yes. Stand with me all over the house. Let me tell you something, a lot of ministries have place, but they don't have peace. There's a lot of people that have place, but you don't have peace. See, this house is not only gonna be a place, but it's gonna be a place that God puts his peace in. God told me to tell you that you had a place in last season, but you're about to have a peace in this season. Peace in your homes, peace in your marriages, peace with your kids, peace in your ministry, peace in your finances. My God, I thank you for a place called peace. Yes. Ezra 3 and 8 tells us the finality of the story. Haggai comes, he preaches the word, 
And when he does, Ezra 3 and 8 happens. It says, in the second month of the second year, after the arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shethel, Joshua, the son of Josedek, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. And they appointed, and they appointed Levites 20 years old and older to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. And Joshua and his sons and brothers and Kamedale, his sons, the descendants of Hodavah, the sons of Hadadad, and the sons of all the brothers, all the Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priest in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with sindals, took their place to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. And with praise and with thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, and His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. That would be a great place for y'all to give a great shout to praise to the Lord. Watch this, watch this. So why did they shout? Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid while many others shouted for joy. I need you to catch this part. But no one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. Watch. Watch, watch. When the remnant realized and began to remember, the promise of the refilling, ref, refilling came. How many of y'all still got your tissues right there with you right now? Y'all got them? Hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. As I read this passage of scripture, this is what God told me today. The Bible says that when they were rebuilding the temple, that the priests put on their garments they put on the priestly garments like they were about to have service. And they went out and they led the people in a shout. But watch this, they shouted when the blocks were laid. They shouted when they were in the dirt working. They shouted when the, when the building was just starting to be built. And this is what God told me. He said, if you're ever gonna quit crying and get ready for what's coming, is you gotta learn to shout over the little things. Come on, when you see him lay that block in your marriage, you gotta shout. When you see him lay that block in your ministry, you gotta learn to shout. When you see him just when the, come on, when he just begins to work. And for those of you that wanna keep crying, God sent me today to tell you, there is coming such a sound of praise to this house. that in the days ahead, your crying will be overthrown by the people's shouts of joy that you won't even be able to distinguish between praise and pouting. Now shout! This is what I wanna do, this is what I wanna do. I want you to take that Kleenex that you got, we're gonna do a prophetic act this morning. I don't know what you've lost. I don't know what you've walked through. 
The hurt is real. The betrayal is real. The loss is real. But you'll never be able to see what God is desiring to do as long as you are crying over yesterday's loss. And so this morning, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that Kleenex and I want you to hold it with both hands. And on the count of three, I'm gonna shout with you. And as you shout, I want you to rip it up. And what you are declaring is that you are done mourning. You are done making room for weeping and crying over yesterday. And you are saying yes to what God has for you. Now, you ready? One, two, three, shout! I feel that. I feel that in this place. I feel that in this place. I feel, my God, I feel that.